Welcome to the Golf Exposed Podcast. It is non-stop trash stuff. I'm supposed to be pros here. I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf. Golf Exposed Podcast. But it wasn't talked about like it is now. We got our kicked. Where we give you the good, the bad, and the truth about golf business, betting, and stories. Welcome back to the Golf Exposed Podcast. My name is Jordan Michael Colson, sitting here with President and CEO of Brown Golf Management and Golf Back, John Brown. And John, I am looking at a publication here, a very prestigious publication, and it is by Golf Inc., who we'll talk a lot about today, and they're looking at the most powerful people in golf, namely the most 25 powerful people in golf. Now, here you have business moguls, you have absolute legends on the green, and then we have a guy from central Pennsylvania who is under 40, and he ranks in at number 23, and his name is John Matthew Brown. Now, John, we'd be remiss not to mention this. That's a huge honor. Did you have any idea that this list was going to include you this year? Absolutely no idea. It was a big surprise. I appreciate that Golf Inc. has, has seen what we've done with Brown Golf and Golf Back and, and put us on this list. I've got a great team at Golf Back. I've got a great team at Brown Golf. We are trying to do things a little bit differently, and it's nice to be noticed. Whether you acknowledge Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas as the greatest golfer of all time, you are on a list with those two individuals. You're on a list with a former president of the United States. That is that is just absolutely wild. When you when you see things like this and accomplishments like that, and I know you've been around the business almost your entire life, but this this list has to mean something to you. It is a milestone. It's a it's a spot on the path in, in my mind. You know, we really want to do some more things in this industry and in the space. You know that I care about, you know, changing the industry for the better. And I think what we're doing with golf back and driving direct tee times and giving power back to the golf course owner is going to change the industry. And, you know, my goal and my focus has always been that. It's nice that it was recognized by Golf Inc. and you know, when you said that being on a list with Tiger and Jack and, you know, former president, I'm pretty sure I'll never do that again. So, <laughs> you know, that's obviously an honor. But um, but obviously there's big tycoons on this list, too, with the CEO of Troon, uh, the CEO of Club Corp, you know, the CEO of Kemper Sports, the CEO of multiple large golf management companies are on this list. So it's nice to be included. At the end of the day, I think it just is an, uh, it's a stop on a path that I hope we really achieve, which is making the industry a better place. John, this article was published by Golf Inc. You were just recently out at the Golf Inc. Summit, and there are some heavy hitters in the industry there. So other than yourself, good old number 23, were any of the other people that are included on this list out at the conference? Well, the Golf Inc. Conference is an annual conference. They didn't have it last year, obviously, for obvious reasons. And uh, it's usually a collection of about 300 industry professionals, whether it's CEOs of management companies or CEOs of golf companies that support golf in some capacity or vendors. And it's a great opportunity to network. And the reason that I love, you know, the event so much is just the people that attend the event. So yes, to answer your question, you know, Tim Chance, who was number one, spoke at the conference. David Pillsbury is number two, uh, spoke at the conference. It was an opportunity really to learn from you know, some of the high level executives that how they operate their day in, day out business. Steve Skinner is the CEO of uh, Kemper Sports was there. Jim Hinckley, number six, who's in charge of Century Golf was there. Blake Walker spoke, who's number seven. Uh, so yes, there's there's a lot of 
uh, influential people in, in the industry that attend the conference. It's a great opportunity to learn about the space, the business, and frankly, what they think about the future. When you see this list and you see that where these guys are coming from, where they're affiliated, how does it make you feel just from the perspective that I know it was in your family and things like that, but you're pretty much a self-made guy from a small town, didn't necessarily have the backing of a huge company, or um, I don't think your family's was multimillionaires growing up. How does that make you feel just knowing that you're kind of like the underdog mentality on this list? So you're basically equating me to having the lowest net worth on this list. That's all right. Though. In, it's an, probably in a roundabout true. way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm working, I'm a working guy right now. You know, I, I think we're building something special and you know, we're on the path. We're 10 years, 11 years in with Brown golf. You know, we're officially one year from launching golf bag, but been working on golf bag for about two and a half. So still not that know, long. It probably feels like a long time, but it, wow. Yeah, that's it, crazy. it does. So, but you know, we're in growth mode, you know, we're, we're still building and growing and, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, where we end up in the future. But we stay committed to the right fundamentals for the golf course owner. I think we're going to end up in a good place. I am in a little different position than a lot of folks on this list. You know, you're, they're either CEOs of major golf companies. They're either affiliated with the PGA of America or, you know, they're they're great golf personalities, players that have gotten into business, whether it's Norman or or Annika Sorenstein or Tiger or they're you know a past president you know Donald Trump and wow. Eric Trump actually spoke at a previous golfing conference as well so you know we're in a little different position we're we're a building company growing company that um, still has a lot to do when you get to this to the golfing conference and you're in the prestigious top twenty five is there like a secret room a Illuminati style where you're all wearing masks secret handshakes robes almost like, you know, the Freemasons. Are you in the special club now? I think that room exists for the top five on this list. So yeah. I like to hang out with the tech guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny because like you can fit in with anyone and you can talk to anyone, but you don't really fit in with the CEOs. And I know that your, your background is organizing people and, and putting, implementing strategies, but you don't, you're not like a tech expert either. So you just kind of fit in where you need to fit in. I guess. I'm on an <laughs> island. Well, you fit in at number 23, and that is tremendous. Do you have aspirations to climb that ladder now? Or is it just – it's not about the list. It's just about the journey and improving the courses. My aspirations are in continuing to build the right products for the space, working with the people at our companies to build something special, and really producing, you know, two companies that – People can be proud of. Uh, the folks that work there are happy to work there. I enjoy the people I work with. I want to provide you know, a great company and platform for them in the future as well, whether that's their professional development development and they go on to do greater, bigger, and greater things, or whether it's just you know a company that can uh, continue to give them the opportunity to grow in salary and responsibilities and provide for their family. You know, Those are my focus areas. Do your lovely wife and kids know that there's Top 25 are in the house. They sure don't care. <laughs> I didn't think they would. <laughs> Perfect. Well, again, congratulations on making the list. I know you'd be the first to say it. It really is a team effort at Brown Golf and Golfback, an incredible team. Uh, go to Golfback Solutions right now, golfbacksolutions.com right now. Check it out for yourself. And uh, we really think that that is the wave of the future in the industry. Um, John, so let's talk a little bit about while we're on Golf Inc. You just recently came off of the Golf Inc. Summit 2021. Um, before we dive deep into it, I have some specific questions, but, uh, what was your preconceived notion of what it would be going in and what was it really like once you got there? Well, I've attended the golfing summit, um, 
multiple times. It's basically a collection of industry movers and shakers, for lack of a better word, whether they're uh, folks that are president CEOs of management companies or the president CEOs of companies that support the golf business or their vendors looking to showcase products. It's a collection of folks, usually about 300 different folks from different arenas in the golf space that get together. There is uh, the opportunity for social events. There's breakout segments for educational events. There's large presentations done and, and conversations about the industry, the space, and the future. And it's a good place to go and just kind of get your juices rejuvenated to uh, move forward and be excited about your business and our space. We were one of the keynote speakers at the, at the conference, star-studded panel discussing the importance of big data, garnering customer attention online, amongst other things. Some of the panelists with you included Dan Bakke, Bryce Voison, Jason Parasol, Kurt Alberson Sr., a lot of guys that we've had on this program before, talked to at length, very similar mindset to yourself, and we've collaborated with them in the past as well. So can you give us a brief overview of what it was like to participate with a panel of that stature and where the discussion kind of led? Well, Dan operates a golf course company. They have 18 clubs in California. So he's of the mindset of an operator owner like myself. What's happening to our bottom line with our decision making? Jason is the CEO of Club Caddy, a point of sales company in the marketplace. Kurt is the director of sales for Lightspeed, another point of sales company in the market space. And then we have Bryce Voison, who's our director of revenue at Golfback. So it was a, it was a great panel great discussion and uh, also need to give kudos to Brent Miller, who's our chief information officer, who frankly uh, put together a lot of the foundational information that we shared uh, in the room about how you better position your club online, how you protect uh, direct traffic, and how really you grow your margins, collect data, and remarket to your customers. And uh, great panel, great discussion, different viewpoints, but an opportunity to share what we uh, thought about that particular um, aspect of building your online presence with about 70 folks or so. So w the way they do it is there's three breakout sessions. So uh, the, the participants get to select which uh, breakout session they want to go to. So we had one of the first breakout sessions on day one. We had probably 70 to 80 in attendance. So, and again, Brent Miller, not, not necessarily uh, a talker, brilliant mind, does so much behind the scenes here. And that's a testament to everyone who works at Brown Golf and Golfback, you really do have a great team. And I'm sure Brent probably put together some of the material that you were using for the slideshow or the presentation. Very fortunate to have Brent, very fortunate to have Bryce, a uh, really good team at Golfback, Todd Jordan, who supports them. And they are more intelligent than me when it comes to this. But you know what you know and you know what you don't know. And that's what a good leader does. Um, and you don't tweet, so that also that. Now, you've always been vocal about technology, data, getting to know who the customer is. So coming out of the conference, do you feel your audience, both in the breakout session and just in casual conversations that you had, do you feel the audience was sort of coming around to your method of, method of forward thinking and understanding where the market's going in terms of technological advances? There's a unique dichotomy happening in the golf space right now where you know, there's a couple of uh, point of sales companies that have really grown over the last five or six years. Lightspeed's one of them, Club Caddy's one of them, Four Ups one of them that are are run and piloted by younger CEOs. So um, those companies absolutely understand uh, the importance and the fundamentals that we're building in golf back. But there's also sort of the old guard in the space who I think are more prone to view things from you know their lens and maybe don't 
view what we're talking about with data collection and remarketing as quite as important as we do. So there is a dichotomy there without a doubt. It was interesting in our segment, there was a mixture of younger guard and older guard. There's actually four executives from Golf Now in our segment, which is obviously interesting given what we're doing and everything I've written about. So <laughs> there is a unique dichotomy there, but the space and industry is changing, but it's slowly changing. So do you feel that the audience overall was receptive, combative, neutral, combination of the two? Did anyone throw stuff at you? I mean, you're kind of like the bad boy of the golf industry. I mean, you're traveling a lot. You got the rock star lifestyle. You're ruffling feathers. Not not unlike a young Mick Jagger. So what was the audience's reception, in your opinion? I mean, I'm always honest with my answers here. I think it's probably a third, a third, a third. You know, very receptive. A third neutral sounds complicated. I don't know if I want to go down that yeah, path. A and a third... Uh, I don't really like this. This is going to impact my business. So I would say a third, a third, a third, at least in my segment. But I got a lot of great feedback, and I, I love doing those events. Uh, I love the aspect of socialization. Very hard to quantify the value of the relationships you build during that week. I mean, we've got relationships from events we went to six, seven, eight years ago that you meet the person, you connect, you talk a little business, and then you don't reconnect for five years, but then you do something special. So um, it's a unique event. Do you feel that the old guard, for lack of better terms, do you feel like they think if I if I adopt this, my skill set may no longer be relevant. And I might get lost in the shuffle here. And it's kind of like the whole thing with like robots replacing human employees. Do you think that there's a sense of that? I don't think there's a sense of that among, you know, the CEOs of the larger management companies. I think the sense is hey, we've been successful doing what we've done. We're not going to change our formula. And I understand that. Like, There's definitely a part of me that says, why would they change? They've been successful. They've grown. They're making their companies money. They've got their own formula that they're, they're building their business around. But I think where the area of difference is, is just, you know, what are the right long-term principles for the golf course owner themselves? I mean, there's a difference between the president CEO of a golf management company and a golf course owner, you know, and to me, we're building golf back around the fundamentals for a golf course owner that they collect and retain all their data, that they collect 100% of the green and card fee revenue online, that they remarket to their customer directly. There's no third party that's going to market to their customer and that they own their lowest price. And if you believe in those principles, well, you start to narrow down the companies that you're going to want to work with pretty quickly. So I don't begrudge or, or think uh, that these other uh, companies are, are not being innovative because they are. They're absolutely being innovative in what they do. Uh, I just think they come from a different lens and have been successful. Is there anything that the old guard has that you still believe in and adopt as you integrate into new philosophies as well? I mean, there's always the customer service, the best membership experience as possible. I mean, those things are staples that will stand the test of time, but there is still value in what they bring. It's not like you're like, everything you do sucks now. Do what we do. You know, every once in a while you hear something really simple and you're like, wow, that's super simple. And I believe that would make my business better. And the, there was one thing I heard uh, from Kathy Harbin in her, her segment, who's somebody that's uh, worked at Club Corp, a golf course owner down in the Texas area who's influential in the NGCOA. And she said something very simple, very simple. She said, I don't understand why executives are emailing their head golf professionals between 8 a.m. and 2 p.m. to send them back a report within the next couple of hours. Uh, and that like <laughs> hit me right 
in the forehead because I'm like, that's me. That's what I do. You know what I mean? She's absolutely right. You know, there's still a component of our business that from 8 a.m. till 2 p.m., you know, seven days a week, that's our prime tea times. The golf professional needs to be interacting with the customer, producing a great experience, understanding what's happening on their tee sheet, doing what they can to fill their tee sheet, and an Excel report about whatever is not that important during that window. They're also not answering my calls either. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that is that was something simple and that that still, you know, is a fundamental. You know, the other thing I heard was from David Pillsbury, who's the president of Club Corp, and actually Don Rea, who's the secretary of the PGA of America. I saw a comment on this after the fact. David was saying, the, the worst thing I see is clubs hiring head golf professionals and then requiring them to run counter shifts. And they need to be out teaching, growing the game. And he had a lot of principles related to how a head golf professional, you know, for lack of a better word, needs to be the face of the club. And I think there's a lot of elements of that which are accurate, but I also think you know, David runs a very successful company that's focused on high-end private clubs. And that might be more of a private club model because at the daily fee model, you know, we don't have the ability to always have all those layers. So the head golf professional does need to multitask, but there's still a definite importance of interacting with the customer and growing the game, which are still always going to be fundamentals of our business. How do you walk a fine line between presenting the content that you're presenting at this summit and having someone in the crowd a detractor say, yeah, I just sat through a, a 30 minute advertisement for golf back. Or are they going to say that no matter what you do? I'm sure they're probably going to say that no matter what we do. It's really hard to explain the principles of golf back and how they've benefited our clubs and the bottom line of our clubs without promoting golf back. It's just really hard. Uh, at the end of the day, golf back is what it is. Where I'm rooted is I'm a golf course operator and owner who cares about my bottom line. I'm trying to make the right decisions for my bottom line. And I'm trying to share with the industry the successful decisions we've made and also some of the poor ones we've made, which have detracted from our bottom line. So, you know, the unique thing about building golf back was it was built out of a need from a golf course owner's perspective, as opposed to a tech company trying to build a product to drive revenue. You know, it was kind of built wired backwards. So I think it's unique in that capacity. You you have said on record that whether this gets, you know, nationwide, worldwide acclaim at golf courses everywhere, it's still the right decision for the clubs that you already own and operate. Correct. Absolutely. So you put your money where your mouth is. That That's obvious. Um, any surprising information or big takeaways that you took away from the panel or the conference as a whole that you're like, oh, I'm never, I mean, you mentioned some very simple philosophies that resonated. Is there anything else you're like, oh, I didn't even think about that, or we could implement this, or okay, I know that's not working, but we do this. Maybe we should reevaluate. I would, I would say there were a few. Number one, anyone that really implemented uh, the top tracer technology on their ranges, which is essentially the technology behind Topgolf for their outdoor ranges, seems to have uh, come away with being very pleased with the return on investment. So, you know, there's a there's a cost associated with building out, you know, a structure and then putting the technology in place. But every owner or operator that I spoke to uh, was very happy with their return on investment and all the big management companies and the big management company breakout, you know, which was uh, Kemper Sports, Club Corp and Troon were all big advocates that this is the direction that we're going to go as well. And so I think there's a strong push towards trying to bring some gamification to our driving ranges. And also there was a talk around, you know, is Top Golf a feeder? 
uh, to golf courses as far as new players. I think we all feel that it's not necessarily a direct feeder, but there's it, it is an introduction, which is good for our game. You know, so I think that was definitely a large topic of conversation. The second thing is there's some very unique golf course GPS cart technology coming out where they're doing all sorts of things with gaming and things you can do on your golf cart instead of just having the boring GPS, which shows you you have 175 yards into the hole. You know, you can have live events. You can uh, have unique commercials that you're able to sell. Some really unique stuff coming from a golf cart GPS standpoint. So we will see how that all shakes out. And then the last thing, it's apparent that everybody is moving towards this, you know, customer CRM model, these larger management companies, which is what Golfback does. I think a lot of them are building some of these tools internally, and we're going to hear more and more about, you know, the retention and data and how they're marketing to those customers from all these different golf companies in the future. Do you get the sense coming out of this conference and others that you've been to, is the game growing at a sustainable, at a productive pace? Because look, every everyone's still coming out of this stupid pandemic, and you know, money's short for a lot of different people. Golf isn't a cheap game or a cheap hobby to play um, at any level. So, do you still feel that overall it's headed in the right direction? There is growth because I mean, there's a million ways to monetize things if that's how you're going to quantify it. I mean, you could there's 18 holes on most courses. You could get them sponsored. You could get each hole sponsored, and you know, say this is the AT and T. 18th hole, but then at that point, are you NASCAR? I mean, there's a million ways to do things. Is the game growing the way that you believe to be productive? Well, there was a huge round boost for the most part in for all golf courses that were not in travel markets in 2020 as a result of, you know, the COVID impact in golf, you know, transitioning from, hey, March when COVID hit, you know, can we even keep courses open to, hey, May, for the most part, every state said, yes, this is a safe activity with COVID and it had a big boom. And we all saw big rounds growth from 2019 to 2020. I think where we've all settled and where a lot of the numbers I'm hearing is we're all going to see more rounds in 21 than we saw in 19. We're not going to quite see what we saw in 20, but let's say if the increase was 10,000 rounds, we might retain four to 5,000 of those rounds. So 40 to 50% of the boost we saw in 20 over 19 will retain in 21 as compared to 19. So we're in a better place today than we've been traditionally because golf has been sliding, you know, in 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. We sort of turn the corner a little bit. Now, it'll be interesting to see where we sit in 22. Can we retain that increase in 21 through 22? My personal opinion, I think we will. I think this has changed sort of uh, the thought process about golf a little bit. It's introduced some new people, and our number of players, our number of rounds, I think, are going to be up based off what we traditionally saw in 17, 18, 19. We talked about a lot of stuff. You talked about it at the conference. People want to get more information from you, pick your brain a little bit. I mean, they might have seen you in the top 25, and they just want they want to rub elbows with a big-time celeb. What? How can they get a hold of you? You're, you make yourself very accessible, which I think is another reason that you're able to navigate these waters. So what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and talk more about this? JM Brown at browngolf.net is my email, probably the best. And then browngolfmanagement.com and Golfback Solutions are the best websites uh, to visit and learn more about our products, what we're doing, and just how we see the future. So there's a lot of social media buzz, especially on our LinkedIn pages. You can go there now. The Brown Golf Management, the Golfback team was out 
almost in full force uh, playing La Quinta. And uh, a lot of people said, hey, who shot the lowest score? And I never got any concrete answer on that. So can you put any rumors to rest? Who won the day? You mean out of the four of us that played together yes. that one day? So we had my CFO, Jason Harshbarger. Uh, we had uh, Brent Miller, Chief Information Officer. We had Bryce Voison, uh, who's our Director of Revenue, and then myself. Uh, we had a nice little foursome. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, Bryce tends to beat us most days, and he beat us again. I feel like when guys like Bryce or Brent look at a green, they just see, like, the matrix. Like, they just can visualize where the ball, every nook and cranny, it just... Jason, he, he he doesn't care. He's just drinking. But um, <laughs> oh, what what was more prevalent on the day? The number of bogeys shot or the number of beers consumed? That depends which player we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> who, who can who can put away the most? I think Bryce definitely had more beers than bogeys, so that's good for him. I was okay. probably about even, and then the other two definitely had more bogeys than beers. All right, <laughs> fair enough. John, thank you for your time. We know you're super busy. Um, before before we sign off, um, where are you headed to next? that you can actually talk about and divulge. You got a lot going on. Well, we've we've purchased a 27-hole golf course in North Carolina. The due diligence period on that runs out uh, November 26th. It's, uh, it's something we're very excited about. Uh, everything's been going smooth so far. Uh, so I anticipate that being able to close, which we need to close by December 15th. So we will have an announcement uh, probably mid-December about a new 27-hole property that we're going to add to our portfolio, um, which is very exciting. And then... From there, so a very, couple very strategic golf back conversations with uh, some big players out there uh, in the space. So uh, maybe some exciting information coming uh, about golf back as well. Awesome. John, thanks for taking the time. We know you're busy. We won't hold you up. Greatly appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Jordan.